0: The Rebel Leadership Podcast, a refreshing take on authentic leadership told through real stories. Let's smash the status quo and change how leaders lead once and for all. In today's business world, a leader breaks the corporate mold. They are equal parts manager and visionary. They inspire those around them, constantly seeking ways to coach teams up and find their inner greatness. Today on the Rebel Leadership Podcast, I sit down with Ryan Leonard, a leadership coach and consultant and owner of Emphasis Consulting. Through her own experience, Ryan learned how to lean into her personal strengths to shape herself as an aspiring leader, how to notice those blind spots that we all have and find insights specific to the leader's behavior. Now she puts her own learnings to work to help leaders tap into their strengths across a wide range of industries. Listen, reflect, and embrace your next aha moment. All right, you ready for this? I'm ready. Miss coaster. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> you have had a whirlwind of a week and mm-hmm. a day. Mm-hmm. And a day. You're in a strength zone. I can't wait. So, Miss Ryan Leonard, I would love to start with your story. How... Did you go from what you were doing all the way to the action of creating your own business around coaching and leadership and executive coaching? Sixth grade, I read
1: a chemistry book. And in sixth grade, I said, I'm going to be a chemist and I'm going to save people. That's what I want to do. And I went all the way into college, became a chemistry major, was a chemistry major for one month, and then was like, I never get to talk to people. Wait a minute, I forgot. Like, I want to help people. That's my motivation for being here. I do like science, but I'm in a lab all day and I'm never interacting with humans, really. So then I realized, like, okay, wait, I completely misprojected what my passion is. And I started down the path of human development. Family studies, eventually got a degree in that, and eventually got a degree in women's gender and sexuality studies as well. And even when I came out of that, I didn't realize in myself what's the theme that I just did. Mm -hmm. And what I did was all things people, every aspect of like sociology and how that matches with, you know, the everyday life and what people's passions are or what makes them unique, but also what makes patterns in them. So basically both degrees contradicted themselves sometimes because one was about patterns in families and patterns in humans. And the other one was like, no, shatter all the patterns. Everyone's Mm. unique. So I got to have both those sides. And when I got out of school, like most of us, when we get out of undergrad, we're like, oh, now what? Where can I find a
0: job? I don't (laughs) care. How do I find a job? How do I
1: explain who I am and what I want to do next? And so eventually, I landed a job at a really large organization as an administrative assistant to six executives. And these executives were vastly different. Their personalities were different. The way they handle stress was different. The way that they lead their teams were different. But they all worked together. And we had you know the range from folks who used fear to motivate, which did work. Was it the best No. Is it a long-term solution? No. But in a moment, I watched that. And then I had people who then explained what the emotional cycle of change was, which was really understanding that every decision they make as a leader impacts their team and they need to know what those impacts are to make sure everyone's prepared. So I had this wide range. And when you're an admin also, you know, everything about them, you know, what time they get up because you have to be up, you know what kind of coffee they like, you know, what their personality is, you know, the signs when they're stressed, like all of this stuff. So from the very beginning of my career, I got to see behind the executive, like behind the wall of their office of like who they are. They are still just people. And there's things that are unique about them. And that's how they're leading the team. So that's what piqued my interest in leadership. And the more that I kept working with them, the more I was like, hey, can I try more things? I really want to help you build your culture. I'm like, sure. Okay, (laughs) go ahead and try. And eventually I moved into the talent development space. And in that space is when I learned that my favorite thing is just supporting leaders on their journey and supporting them learn how to communicate, motivate, and influence. And I went back for my master's in leadership. And now I am officially launching my own company, doing just that as a leadership coach consultant. Uh, and I also am a professor of master's students who are also down the leadership journey as well. And I'm really enjoying it.
0: Well, we're so lucky to have your wisdom and expertise <laughs> with us on our podcast. There was another theme throughout that story, though, that was not just the style and making sense of that style and understanding themselves as human. Absolutely. But it feels like the bridge that you are is how that affects people. Mm -hmm. What the ripple effect is and how leaders need to do that work on themselves to understand how they are impacting the masses. Mm -hmm. So the concept of leadership has been around forever, but actually
1: coining the word leadership. There's the father of leadership. His name is Warren Bennis. And he really didn't come around until the 60s or 70s. So recently, in more recent years, is when we started seeing more complexity in leadership. Before that, it was really like, we have managers because the company's too big and there's an assembly line and we need to make sure everyone's doing what they're doing at the time. Now it's moved into what I'm kind of calling is like the coaching era. Like leaders have to not only be a subject matter expert, a manager, the visionary the like one who does the budget and all that stuff they also need and and have to flex into how do i help build people's careers how do i coach them so there's so many other pieces to it that now leaders play an important role in everyone's career trajectory as well
0: were telling your story, you had talked about not necessarily understanding where that passion really was and almost it being misdirected in the first place Mm -hmm. down that chemistry path. Mm -hmm. How does someone start understanding and reflecting and thinking about the things that they are best at Mm -hmm. and putting language to it? So, one thing that I've noticed that I started to get really good at is
1: trying to understand my own patterns, both my good ones and my bad ones. So, and what I mean by that is it's not only a self awareness of, oh, I did this thing, so I need to go apologize to it or whatever. It's also like, let me look back in all of my experiences and see if I keep doing the same things over and over again or every time. I start to not feel like I'm in the right spot. What does that actually feel physically for me? So like reading your gut, knowing your gut is what people, you Mm -hmm. know, our moms tell us about that. Mm -hmm. Like um, do that also, even when you're exploring who you are as a professional. And so for me, when it's not only when I was in school, but even this latest career change for me was I got to a point where Unfortunately, my physical reaction to when things are wrong for me, the pattern I found is that I will suddenly get migraines for like three months. Oh, so yours is a physical
0: responder. Yes.
1: Yeah, I will literally, I've never had migraines except for two major times that I was making huge career choices. Um, Migraines, kind of needing to talk out loud because I'm an external processor, out loud talking almost too much where I have to tell my fiance, like, I'm so sorry. I talk about this every day. Uh, and Hence the podcast Yeah, yes,
0: yes. Same. Yes,
1: yes, <laughs> yes. And uh, then I literally have to go to sleep one day and I wake up and usually like I will have one morning where I just made the decision and say, I need to go do it because I've realized that the pattern I'm back in my pattern that, doesn't serve me for, it only serves me for me to identify, oh, you already have the decision. So you need to just make that leap and take that risk. And then after that, I know migraines. There you go. It's pretty wild. But yeah, I, that's one of the types of patterns of, I started realizing it's not just stress. It's literally my body trying to tell me you already know.
0: What's the hardest part about spotting the pattern? Why don't we do it more for ourselves? So
1: the hardest part for spotting the pattern, well, part of it is why I became a coach because a lot of people need help with that. So I go and help support um, and identify patterns for them with them. But it's because a lot of the time those patterns are things that you don't want to admit to yourself. It is a lot of self-reflection, which in any type of growth, it's uncomfortable And so when you have to admit, like, I already know the answer, I know what's happening, I know what I need to do, sometimes that's the riskier thing to go do, and it's uncomfortable.
0: So when you've coached senior executives Mm -hmm. and you're starting to arrive at these patterns, how do you help them make sense of it all and see a way through it? Like when you described, you know that it's happening, you feel it's coming on, you know, and trust you're going to arrive at that moment where you wake up and make the decision. And now it's all crystal clear to you. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a premonition. (laughs) How do you help leaders sort that through so that they can trust the consistency of the pattern? I love that question.
1: Uh, So one of the ways that I love to start, I, I love to start in a positive spot. Like that's really about what my coaching is. It's not to look at negatives and just find gaps and try to fill them. It's about taking your talents to strengths. And so what I'm really describing with patterns sometimes are literally talents. And the difference is, is talents are these naturally reoccurring patterns that just happen. Like if you are a person who doesn't believe anyone's a stranger and can go into elevator or an airplane and you're chatting everyone up, like that's a talent. If you are a person who just like comes against a challenge and immediately your brain starts thinking about what are all these other paths that I could take to get around it that's most effective, like that's a talent. Even if you're a person who's like in a meeting and you are noticing everyone's grammatical errors on the slide, like technically that is a talent because not everybody does that. That's what's unique to you and your talent. When you move it into strengths is when we identify that talent, which is really, really positive. And we put in the time and investment to fully understand how it shows up for you, not only when you are at your best, but when you are also at your worst. And that's how you move it into a
0: strength. So then that's how you can hone it at all times. So give me an example of the strength side of those talents.
1: So an example is I have connectedness, empathy, and adaptability in my top strengths. These are all relationship-building strengths. The great side of it is it's what's motivated me to start my own coaching company because I get to use those strengths every single time I coach. I'm in the moment, use empathy to connect with a person. And I use connectedness to really help me identify patterns. That's really what that is about. When I am in a job that requires you know, the same tasks over and over again. And I don't have leaders that express the story of how that task connects back to making an impact on a person. It's really, really hard for me to execute every day the same way with the same energy.
0: So it's not that you can't execute. Right. It's that you need to flex the top Mm -hmm. core strengths in order to overcome those things that you're less strong at. So Mm -hmm. when it came time for you to understand your own strengths, Mm -hmm. could you see some of those patterns in yourself first? Or how did the strengths test assessment help you connect the dots and then what happened from that point forward? I started kind of
1: identifying patterns and what strengths when I took the assessment, it was able to give me a language to quickly talk about it. Like I never knew what connectedness I would have never said that about myself. And it came up as like number two. And when I read it, it was all about like, you understand how every human people, things all connect to each other. So before that I started identifying what were the days that I feel least motivated at work? And why can't I get myself out of this rut? And th- and then I wanted to execute. I wanted to feel productive that day. What was going on that was making me feel so energy drained and also not connected to anything? Just not the mission, not, the, not what I was doing. And it was the days where I had moved into every day would look exactly the same. And the tasks had no connection to
0: any type of mission or purpose that was fulfilling. And I think that's the hardest part about leadership. Mm-hmm. That's the hard work, is when you feel yourself having a series of bad days. It's not just about the one bad day. Mm-hmm. It, your expectations must be aligned with the role. Right. It is a roller coaster Right. leading an organization of whatever size it is. But when those are consistent, hard days where it's hard to walk through the door, it's hard to wake up and be excited to tackle your to-do list because it is a mountain. There's something to make sense of. There's something to stop that is pulling you in. It is your job to prioritize making sense of it. Because what everybody else craves from you is when you're in the pocket, when you are calling the shots and you are your best self, And you are not pulled down to this difficult, confused place. They need, they Mm -hmm. expect, and need you to be your most confident, calm, poised, visionary self. That makes me think of two analogies. One of them
1: is, you know, when you're on an airplane and they say, make sure you put, like, if the oxygen masks come down, you need to put yours on first before you can help someone else. It's the same thing when you're a leader It's just in this space, you have the tools and the language to say, oh, I've just identified that I'm going into a stress responder right now. And what do I need to give myself in this moment and put myself first in this moment to get myself back to a space that I can support my team? And usually when it's connected to your strengths, it's a lot faster to get back instead of trying to just force yourself to get through. And the other one I think of, I'm not a mom myself right now, but how many moms out there, you know, like, or have so much on their plate. What happens to you if you don't give yourself any rest ever? You lose your shit, right.
0: <laughs> You right. lose your mind, right? <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> you see it, you, you lose control. Of yep. your emotions, your reactions. You don't show up as the mom you want to be. There's dishes in the sink. Literally think picturing my kitchen. Right now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I love it. But it's like when you don't have everything else sorted out
1: mm-hmm.
0: of like who you are, how you're showing up for people, how you're showing up for yourself. When you, when you can't make sense of it. Right. Nothing else can be in place. Right. Like everything is in disarray. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that feels like the biggest tension of leadership is these, these seasons that you go through where you think you know yourself and you think you've made sense of it all. And then something else changes or you evolve or the organization evolves Mm -hmm. or the world around your organization evolves or the people in it evolve. And it's this constant feeling of catching up and catching your breath To figure out how do you settle into your strengths, even if you know what they are. What we're explaining
1: right now to seem simple because at its core, it's like, oh, it's really just getting to my authentic self as much as I can. It seems simple, but sometimes, you know, simple things don't always mean that they're easy because it is investment. It is time to stop yourself in those moments, too. Um, And it's not always natural for leaders to prioritize themselves in a moment either, but recognizing that doing what you need to do in that moment to get back to your team in a healthy space most likely will help in the long run.
0: So let's fast forward mm-hmm. and assume we have all of our strengths defined, we know what they are, we're living in that space, mm-hmm. and we are just thriving. Because <laughs> you can feel it, there are times when you really, really, really feel that mm-hmm. way. How can those strengths then work against you and become blind spots? It's that old saying of our greatest strengths are our greatest
1: weaknesses. It is true. The reason being is that because when we get into the moments of what feels natural to us, we just continue to go with it. And sometimes what is most natural to us doesn't fit your team. Competition, I think, is a really, really powerful strength. It is one that it is used to motivate. It is one that is used to influence. It helps your team continue to push themselves. It uses external motivators to push themselves. And when you are a leader high in competition, you are able to continue leveling up your team. And you also most likely are every single day able to give messages of how do we continue towards our goal. So it brings goals to the forefront which is really awesome because sometimes we have leaders who it's just natural it'll happen. Like you're so bogged down with so much that it's hard to give out daily communication about that goal and reminding your team. And what they're working towards. Right. So this is why it's an absolutely awesome strength to have. On the flip side of competition, what happens if you end up with a team who they are not comfortable with competition. That's not what they're motivated by. Or they're just even really junior still. And they might be feeling either devalued or unsure of their place because they are nervous about, okay, if I don't do this right, right now, like, what does that mean? And it's not that the leader meant to do that. It's more that every once in a while, that leader would just need to take a step back and say, hey, does using my competition strength in this moment make sense for my team? Or do I need to walk it back and use communication right now? Or do I use a different type of motivator
0: that I've realized fits my team? And it starts to become relentless Mm -hmm. in that particular instance, Mm -hmm. because it can be, it can feel like, well, when's the end if we're always competing for the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, well, what about when we've reached meaningful milestones? How do we pause and celebrate those things? Mm -hmm. You can instantly see it when you use an example and you put language to it. It makes me think of this analogy of like a gas pedal when you're in the pocket and you're, in your strengths, you're like, you are, your foot is on the gas and you feel so good and you're flying down the highway. And there comes a point in time and you've got to break and you've got to merge and you've got to slow down mm-hmm. a little bit mm-hmm. and look up what's around you. What's in the rear view mirror. What's ahead of you. What's in the distance, which exit do you have to get off? And if you're just flying down blind, like you're never going to see that stuff, right? It will lead to a, an accident. Right. That's what it feels. That's what yeah. leadership feels like mm-hmm. is you are in the driver's seat all the time. And it's difficult to do that and make sense of it all by yourself. Right. Yeah. I'll give another example from like opposite energy. Um, Cause
1: competition is about a lot of energy. I'll give you another one. So harmony is a really big uh, strength in relationship building and from the Clifton strengths model. And harmony, when it's really, really high for leaders, is super awesome because they can naturally identify when there might be a conflict on a team way before it happens and put in interventions before it does happen. So that is awesome. We need more harmony sometimes. Mm -hmm. The flip side of harmony is what happens when you have a leader who's super conflict avoidant sometimes Mm -hmm. or just really, really wants to keep the peace. It's... When there are moments where there needs to be some healthy argument or healthy disagreement to even spark innovation, that is a time that that leader needs to identify, okay, this is the pattern I feel really, really uncomfortable right now. What do I need to do in this moment? I need to either have conversations at this time about guidelines for this conversation so that I know we're still headed down a path and it's not just going to be open conflict, but I also don't want to shut it down. So it's giving yourself some strategies during that time to get your team to a spot where they can be creative, they can have disagreements, they can spark that innovation, but it's also making sure that you as a leader, you know, your strength is harmony, you know, it's going to feel uncomfortable for you. So what do you do? One of your strategies could be like, hey, I want to talk about these questions and kind of be the MC of the event as well. Like viewing it as an event instead of an upcoming conflict.
0: Let's go back to the patterns mm-hmm. that you talked about. In externally communicating what's on our mind and trying to make sense of it all, Mm -hmm. there's meaningful conversation. And I'm going to give a personal example between the two of us that has just churned my brain to try and figure out the answer to your question. We were about three or four conversations in at that point. Mm -hmm. And you paused me mid-convo and you said, what's your definition of should? Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait, what? What did you just say? Mm -hmm. And you said, you've said the word should I should we should you should yep. at least a dozen times and at least a couple times in every conversation we've had? Yep, and that was a really specific pattern that wasn't a pattern of behavior, it was my language that I was using that meant something. Mm-hmm. And I'm honestly still trying to figure out what that meant. How do you, when <laughs> you see it, when you know what the pattern is, how do you then? dig deeper yeah. and, and find the answer and then make change as a result of that answer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's the conflict, at least in this one particular example that I'm in right now, that's just difficult to sort it out, but I can't stop thinking about that pattern. Why do you feel you can't stop thinking about it? Because I know it's connected to this like deep rooted guilt, mm-hmm. but I don't know where the guilt is coming from. Mm -hmm. the guilt, at least making sense of it, is like the guilt of not having enough time to do the things I want to do or be the person I want to be to all the people that expect it of me.
1: If you feel comfortable, do you mind telling me about a time that you felt you didn't live up to your expectation or let someone down?
0: The more senior my position Mm -hmm. gets, the less time I'm able to spend with all the levels of the organization right and when i came in here i was a director had a core team of people that was filled with interns and specialists and associate managers and people aspiring and i spent so much time with them mm-hmm. and gave themselves my best and i feel guilty that i'm not able physically able to give all of those levels all of the meaningful time that i was able to mm-hmm. back then, but it's like my job demands something different now, mm-hmm. but the person inside me is like, I genuinely want to spend that same time with everybody. So it's this conflict of what I should be doing in my role with what I want in my heart and in my head. Right. And what does guilt manifest as in this situation? Spreading myself too thin.
1: Mm-hmm
0: being always on, never able to turn it off, still trying to give everybody like a little piece of me and leaving nothing left at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. stopping exercise, not sleeping, waking up at crazy times, not necessarily showing, like I can feel it dishes in the sink Mm
1: -hmm.
0: piled up Mm -hmm. because one more email, one more one-on-one, one one more, this one more, that rushing around being Mm late. Right. It's like, it's all over the place. I see the pattern, I'm in the pattern right now. Mm -hmm. And yet I'm still trying to figure out, like, why do I have such a hard time about protecting my time? And it keeps coming out into this should. I should do all these things. And what's kind of funny about it is,
1: in trying to get yourself to protect your time, you're actually going back into the pattern of not protecting your time. Like it exactly. goes in that circle. But what might it feel like, let's say, if instead of spending five minutes a day with a person, you spend one hour a month with that person, mm-hmm. completely dedicated to that person? Yeah, what it's completely different.
0: Like? It's such. It's more meaningful time. Mm-hmm. It's being able to be a better communicator, which is one of my strengths is mm-hmm. communication, yeah. instead of a quick communicator. Yeah. So what I'm doing right
1: now is basically continue like asking more questions of you to see of, you know, if it's guilt, what does guilt actually look like? Because if it looks like I'm not protecting my time because I want to give time to others then a strategy you might want to start thinking about or trying is saying, "Hey, I really want to spend more quality time with this person, where I want to choose this month, I'm going to choose one person, and I'm going to prioritize one hour dedicated to them for the month instead of, you know, trying to t- tap in every single day to multiple people, mm-hmm. because it's not a quality time for them. Like they appreciate seeing you, and you appreciate seeing them, but you probably never feel fulfilled. You're not your
0: best. Yeah.
1: And you walk away being like, I don't know if I actually helped or I don't know if that was enough of like, I want to be a coaching leader as well. Like Mm -hmm. in five minutes doesn't give you that space Mm -hmm. versus being more intentional. And you and there will be times, too, that you're still feeling guilty because you can't do everything. But it's also bringing us back to the analogy of like putting your own oxygen mask on first. Mm -hmm.
0: It's that it's making sense of it out loud Mm -hmm. and it's not necessarily having the answer, but it's having different strategies and tactics to, to try as a result of sorting it out. It's not that you're saying there's going to be an answer to all of these cerebral questions, right? There's just not, Mm -mm. it's putting language to it. It's spotting it. It's pausing and reflecting on the patterns, right? It's seeing the things that you just don't like that don't feel good. Right. In your days, and then taking meaningful, small, consistent actions to see if that changes the outcome. It's almost like a chemistry experiment. Yeah, oh, yes, full
1: circle. Yeah, it's a people chemistry experiment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm definitely also not saying that you should never use the word should. There I just said it twice in that sentence. Mm-hmm. It's more about how do we move from saying should" that many times because should sometimes is a stress. Word, saying I'm obligated to do that, and I don't have time to do it, and moving into I can't wait to get to do that. I can't wait to get to meet that person for one hour this one month.
0: Jen and I, the head of our HR and legal, we vouched really hard for giving everybody one mental health day off as part of that. our benefits package, and yeah. we we're really proud of that. It was a recognition. We're still a small company, right? right. And it was recognition of something really important to us. Right. And so that particular year when, when it was rolled out, I took one to show everybody like I care about this too. And I took one and I spent the day with my oldest son, just one-on-one time. And it was like one of the best days I had had that entire year because I actually blocked time for him. And at the end of that day, even though it felt so good, I felt guilty that I didn't oh, do it more. Mm. That I was giving everybody these one-on-ones, hour here, hour there, forty-five minutes here, half hour there. And yet he got one day with my focused attention. Mm -hmm. So like I think about that moment of like the struggle Mm -hmm. of a working mom that is probably applicable to just so many working parents does not have to mean a mom. Giving yourself some grace at the end of that day to say, like You chose that time. Stop feeling bad about all the times you didn't live in that sweet spot. Right. And
1: I feel like guilt could be its own podcast
0: (laughs) in general. It could.
1: Because guilt is one of those things that takes up a lot of energy. And it's one of my patterns that I'm trying to work on currently, because even when you are a coach, sometimes you need (laughs) your own. You are always continuously learning about yourself. And it's really important to also be aware of yourself, your own like comfort zones, your own biases, all of that. So you try really hard to make sure that you're showing up completely for that one person in that coaching engagement. And one of those things for me is guilt. I mean, I grew up in an environment, too, that as much as I completely love my family, but I remember one time my parents were taking two separate cars to the same place and I couldn't decide which car to go in because I felt bad. I didn't want one of them to think I liked them more than the other. So I stood out in the rain in the street as a child crying, not able to choose which car until they finally were like, are you kidding me? Get in get in one. We're going to the same place. Like I started and I realized that's where my pattern of guilt started, was then, and I was probably eight. Wow. And so it's something that I'm trying to unlearn as much as I can, but then also use guilt as a powerful insight tool of saying, okay, if I'm feeling guilty right now, is there something I should be providing that person? Is there something I need to provide myself? Like what does that- That in and of itself is a pattern. Right. To spot. Right. Mm -hmm.
0: What's one thing that- aspiring leaders can do on their journey of making sense of their own strength? On my journey to becoming a coach, what I've started to
1: realize, there's a difference between mentorship and coaching. And a lot of time mentorship is like, hey, here's what worked for me. Why don't you try it? Then there's also coaching where my kind of style is, I know that you're more likely to create a habit if it's unique to you. And the reason why I'm bringing that up is sometimes when you're a new you're aspiring new and emerging leader what you might flex into or start to try to do is kind of look at your your role models around you and become exactly them. And it's not necessarily that your goal should be become exactly them because that's not unique to to you, that might not work for you the same. Well, because it's not possible. Right, and it's not possible. But instead, look at your role models, see which pieces of them you really, really like, which ones, and then really dive down from there and say, okay, these feel like natural strengths for me. I'm a natural communicator. So that's one that I want to go ask my friends. I want to ask people close to me, my coworkers, do you feel that's a strength of mine? How does that show up? So that you can start hearing these words about yourself and you can start identifying what kind of leader you are and then identify those other traits that you really look up to, but they're not something that's natural to you and do the same exercise and be like and ask questions of people so that that way you can start to see where that gap might be but then you can create your own path to get to that outcome
0: instead of trying to follow exactly what the person before you did well i'm very glad for our benefit that you were not stuck in a chemistry lab today oh, yeah. <laughs> thank you for sharing your for wisdom sure. and your expertise with us for sure i
1: could I talk it. to you for hours i know i love it so much thank you for having me